Hey, it's me again. Glad y'all are with us today. Does feel a little strange. It feels good. It feels a little strange at the same time. I wonder where you all have been. It's been like three months since you've been to church. So uh, glad you're with us today. You know, lots of people are watching. For those of you who are in the auditorium today, you have read the letter and you know that what we're doing when we close today is that we will be released by row. And so it'll be like you're at a wedding. This is just a wedding without a reception, so you'll just go on outside after that, and of course you're asked to social distance as well, but uh, glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. This is the first time in my life that I have ever matched a pocket square to my mask, and so learning all kinds of new fashion things today. Today we are talking about Go Where He Leads. You already see the title, and you see this screen up here, and I hate that that I can't see everybody. But I went over and asked Travis if, if they wanted to move, and they like this better, so that they don't see me. So, and so if it weren't for space, I'm sure everybody will try to get that spot next week. But there is a monitor, there are two monitors down on the floor, and usually this, um, this lectern here is at the front. Well, last week, moving it back like this on Sunday night, I, we preached in here, did a test run in here. But because of my progressive lenses, I could not figure out my notes at all. My head was going back and forth. So anyway, that's why we have this screen here at eye level today. We're talking about go where he leads. You know that idea of wanting to follow someone, and particularly we want to follow God and do what God wants. But sometimes it is really difficult to follow someone else back when Barbara and I were dating. We met in Oklahoma City at Oklahoma Christian University, and she was from Wichita, Kansas, which is two and a half hours just straight up the highway, up I-35. And she was going to take me home to meet her parents, and it was Christmas holidays, and so I was driving my own car, and then I was going to go off and, and, uh, to, to my mother's house after that. This may be in the first or second time, but I had no idea where she lived. And so I was excited to go, and I was going to follow her up to Wichita, and we left. It was already evening, but time class was over, and so it was dark, and it was wintertime, and I followed her for a good while, and then all at once, she stopped over on the side of the road, and so I got behind her, and I was about to get out of the car. This was pre-cell phone era, right? And all at once, she took off going like 90 miles per hour. Now, she had a 76 VW Rabbit, and for those of you who remember those, they were not considered wonderful cars. We sold it to my nephew for $75. It's terrible when you take a relative, but that car just (laughs) took off. And then a little bit later, she stopped again, and I pulled in behind her, and she just took off again. It just happened over and over and over. I thought she was trying to lose me. You know, I'm driving as fast as I can. I have this little tiny Plymouth Horizon at the same time. It's not any better than the VW Rabbit. Actually, it's down a step or two. And so I'm behind her. Mine was worth like $35. And I'm going as fast as I could. And finally, we get there. And I didn't know she was having car problems. And the car was doing that. It wasn't her doing that. The car was doing that. 
So the idea of trying to follow and you get lost or you're worried you're going to get lost, and some of us, while God certainly has no problems, some of us may feel like after going through pandemic and through life and maybe through unemployment and maybe our kids aren't doing what we want them to do and through sickness and through all the, the, the racial tension we see in the world right now, and we go through all of that and we may be saying, God, you are way too far in front of me. I cannot figure out where I'm supposed to go. And we may be scared to death because of that and today what I pray you will see is that God wants you that God has a place for you for all of us whether you're here live or whether you're watching that God wants us and God does have a plan and so I want to take us back to the time of Abraham now in the text he's going to be called Abram and if you know that story you know that he later was called Abraham, but first Abram, and if you don't know the story, read the book of Genesis and explain it there, and you'll have more time than me trying to explain it at this moment. But in Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 4, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham, or Abram, was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. Most folks at 75 you might be thinking retirement village, you know, retirement home, or, or, or assisted living even. But you're not thinking, hey, go start a new life and start from scratch again. But God came to Abram, and from what you may already know from your study of the Bible, Abram at this point is not a God worshiper, Yahweh, the name of God in the Bible. He's not a Yahweh worshiper. What we know about people from that region is that they mostly worship like the moon. And so God goes to him and God says, you're my man. I want you to be the man. And I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Abraham follows God. I also want you to understand that there is tension in the text when we get to this point. Often when you hear the, this story of Abraham preached, we start right where we are in Genesis chapter 12. And, and then we go on and we have the story of Abraham. It's a great story. It's, it's a true story. And, and, and we don't catch what's going on in the text because we read it out of place. But if you don't know the Bible, and if you don't know the story, and you start in Genesis 1 and you see the creation, and then all at once you see the story of Adam and Eve, and you see that sin whenever they fall and they eat the fruit, and then you see Cain and Abel, and you see one brother kill another brother, and you see all this terribleness, and then God says, okay, well, I'm going to destroy it all, but Noah's righteous, and Noah and his family are going to be saved with the animals, and everything is going to be okay for Noah, and everything will get back on track again. And then what you see there is that they got off track immediately. I mean, they're like, let's get out of the ark and sin is almost what it was like. And then you get to chapter 11, what was just read, Timothy just read for us this morning. And you realize that the world was in a crisis. The people decided, we know enough, we know more than God knows, and we are going to build a big tower, the Tower of Babel. Babel is probably what it really is, but Babel sounds so much better, right? They're going to build the Tower of Babel, probably what's known as a ziggurat, which you can 
you can uh, Google if you want to. And they're building this big tower, and they say, we can reach to God. It was all about pride for people. It wasn't about God. It was about their pride. And the world is in a terrible crisis. And the people who would read this would say, what will God do with creation gone bad? Because in chapter 11, the world is bad. And God spreads the people all over the world because, and, and divides their languages because they're all bad when they get together. Have you ever felt like the world was in a crisis? Have you ever thought, I don't want to watch the news? It's too bad to watch. Have you ever thought, maybe I'll get on an airplane and go somewhere else? Wait, they won't let me go. Have you ever thought, if I could just get away from this and there is nowhere to go because we're all on this big blue marble that's in the middle of a crisis? And the people of God who are reading this are saying, what is God going to do with creation God gone bad? When God gave an amazing promise to a man who lives in some foreign land who's probably a moon worshiper, and would have not seemed very likely to be the man at all that God would choose. But he gives this amazing promise to Abram and says, Abram, I am going to make a nation out of you. And whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless. And whoever it is that curses you, I'll curse them because I'm with you. I'm going to be with you, Abram. And praise God that Abraham accepted what God asked of him. And Abraham went, praise God, that he heard the calling and he followed through with the calling. And then in Genesis chapter 12, in verses 6 through 9, we start seeing the details of what all of that looked like. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. That must have been some kind of tree to be written like that, right? At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there for the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on toward the hill, hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Aon on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and he continued toward the Negev. Wow, he doesn't have any idea where he's going. This is pre-GPS, you realize that. Anymore, I have a GPS to go to the grocery store, and then I FaceTime Barbara after I'm in there. I mean, I, you know what I'm talking about, right? We want to know exactly where we're going. He has no idea. He is just following the Lord that he met about half an hour ago and doing what God wants rather than saying, hey, it's all about me. I loved what one Bible scholar, Rick Marr, said. He said, Abram wasn't secure in where he was called, but with whom he lived. He now lives with God. It's not about where he's going, but it's about with who he's going with. See the big difference? Back when our oldest daughter, Annabeth, was in the youth group here, I remember the youth group had a mystery trip. And some of you might have even been on that trip. And, they, and the parents, I don't even know if we knew where they're going. I don't think we knew. Sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? 
So they went. I remember they went to Austin and went somewhere else and they prayed in different places. But I can remember on that trip not knowing where they were going. They certainly didn't know. But do you know why they went? Because they trusted our youth minister, Mike Avery. And they trusted him and we trusted him. And it wasn't about where will you go, but who's going with you. And so here Abram is. And Abram is going to go, not because he knows where, and even though there are enemies in the land, and even though it won't be easy, because there are people who already think it's their place. The Canaanites are saying, this is our home, you're not taking our home. And God says, no, sorry, I have that reserved for Abram and a new nation that I'm creating. So Abraham wasn't secure in where, but with whom. And so to apply this to to us today, God may be calling you to something amazing. And so you say, well, I don't know. What does that mean? I mean, I don't hear God's voice. I'm not talking about, (coughs) excuse me, that wasn't COVID. That's just what I do every Sunday if you're new here. (laughs) What does it mean? It's not God talking to me. I've never heard God's voice. David, David, I thought I did one time, but it was just my manager at Dairy Queen over the loudspeaker called my name, and I didn't know where it's coming from. What does that mean? Well, sometimes it's some kind of passion that I have. Sometimes it's when I see the, the sorry state of the world on television and I say, I've got to be one that helps. I've got to do something. That is like my calling to do that. I remember during the Oklahoma City bombing, we were not there, but I was watching videos of those moments. And I can remember on television when the newscaster said, we are needing batteries. We need AA and AAA batteries, C batteries. We need batteries. They had this big box like what a dishwasher might come in. About 30 minutes later, 20 minutes later, that same news reporter was there and said, we don't need any more batteries. Look at this box. It's when you see something and you say, I've got to do that. It is like a calling from God. And this isn't just, oh, I want to be a football player or whatever. It's not that. It is, I want to do this in the name of Jesus. It's our calling. It's our passion. And God may be calling you to some amazing things to make a difference in this world. This is a world in crisis. And if we sit back and sleep through it, we will be judged for that. The world is in crisis and God is calling us to something amazing to do to make the world better, whatever it is. Now, understand that he may be calling you to something amazing, but it also might be really scary. It might be really scary to think about doing something different than I've always done because I kind of like it when it's all secure and nice. I like it whenever I can, you know get on the couch and get my blanket around me and get something on TV I really like, like a a ball game or something. And I'm so secure in all that. just feels good. But maybe it's different than that. Maybe that's not what calling is because God wants you to go and he wants you to trust. He wants you to go and he wants you to trust him when you go. I want you to understand how important that is when we were, when I was, I guess, 19 years old, 
18, 18, the first time I went to Brazil on a mission trip for a month with a group from my university, and there were like 16 or 17 of us, and the next year I went back, and there was this little side trip you could go on to, the city called Vitoria, city of about 1.5 million people or so, and, and I thought it'd be fun because it was like a three-day side trip, and I wanted to go on the trip just really because I just wanted to see the world, and I'd never seen anything before the, the year before when I'd gone to Brazil, and now I wanted to see more. And so I go, and, and I'm with like four or five, six people, and, and we're sitting there, and we go up on top of this mountain, and we're looking out over the city, and it is so gorgeous, and, and, and the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, the beaches are incredible, and we're up on, this, up on this big mountain. It's just a big granite block is what it is coming out of the water. And a sponsor who was with us said, this city is 450 years old. And churches of Christ have never existed in this city. Who's going to go, do you think? Well, I was from a tiny little town in the Texas Panhandle. I was from this little place. I had never been anywhere. I, I was so ill-equipped. I, I mean, I had no idea. But I said, I got to go. And there were others that stood there that day and said, we got to go. Because we are the ones, because, and I didn't blame anybody else for not going. I just felt it on my heart that I had to go. And when Barbara and I were dating the second time, but that's another story. But before we started dating the second time, I said, you do realize I'm going to be a missionary in Brazil. And I am now dating to get married. And if you can't think about being a missionary in Brazil, then let's not date at all. Because that's where I'm going. Because it was so strong in my heart that I had to go. And sure enough, God blessed us to live there and for seven years and start a congregation. And our daughters were born there. It's incredible when you feel it. And it may not be. You're saying, I'm not going there. Well, you don't need to. It might be to stay right here in Houston. But it's about making a difference in the world. I want you to understand this. God's calling was disruptive to Abraham's life. God's calling is always disruptive because we're headed in our direction to do what we want, when we want, how we want. And God says, I have different plans for you. Are you going to be different than the rest of the world or are you going to be as selfish as the rest of the world? I called you out of the world, so why are you pretending to live like the world? I want something greater from you. God's calling is always disruptive. But let me tell you about Abraham. He went anyway. Can you imagine what the conversation would have been like with Sarah the night before? Well, where are we going? And he would have said, I don't know. Can you imagine saying something like that to your spouse? Hey, we're, we're moving. Oh, and the truck is here. And the truck says, okay, well, uh, wh what's the new address? I don't know. Can you imagine saying something like that? That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Because they'd say, oh, good, cha-ching, cha-ching, wouldn't they? Well, Abraham needed to do more than just obey the promise. It wasn't just about obeying it. He was going to need to embrace it. Because life was not going to be easy in this new place. The Canaanites are there. And if you know the story, you know that Lot is going to be a mess. And Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be a mess. You know there are going to be all kinds of problems. So he's going to need to embrace the calling that God has on his life. He's going to have to say, "This I am totally committed to God and I'm going to do this. I think about Paul in the New Testament. 
You remember the apostle Paul called by God in that incredible light that he saw. And you remember how God came to him in that incredible way and hear Jesus' voice that said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And you remember all that? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, which must have been the scariest words that Saul had ever heard in his life because of all the things Saul had done against Jesus. And now here he is saying, okay, I'll follow, I'll do whatever you say. And then you remember in 2 Corinthians that he talked about how he had embraced the promise and embraced the calling of Jesus and what he had gone through for it. He had been shipwrecked, which that would be scary enough all by itself. He had been shipwrecked. He had had people say bad things about him. He had worried about all the churches that he had planted and then the persecution that was happening to those churches. The Bible says that he was beaten with rods three times, whatever a rod is, right? And then it says that the Jews whipped him 39, with 39 lashes five times. You know what they'd do with those lashes? They'd take pieces of leather and they would tie either rocks that they had sharpened and tie those into it or they would put little rugged or rough pieces of glass in, on, that, on that leather. Now I want you to count five times 39. If you are not a math major, that is 195 lashes on his body. Mostly on his back, but those whips would come right around and hit you in the, in the front, on the chest, or on the stomach, in your face, on your, on your ears, on the back of your head. You know why he went through all that? Because he embraced the calling of God. Sometimes we think, oh, calling, it's whatever my passion is, whatever I'm going to love. Like, I'll be a school teacher, I love that. I'll be a basketball player, I love that. And, and often it is what we love, but it doesn't mean it's easy. It means it's difficult sometimes. His calling meant that he would overcome his fear of being beaten. His calling meant that he would overcome his fear of being sick. His calling meant that he would overcome his fear of people saying things against him. His calling meant that he was sold out 100% to Jesus and come what may. The Bible said there's lots of speculation, not the Bible, but others speculate that he dealt with malaria, that he may have dealt with epilepsy, he dealt with other, with other tropical and subtropical diseases, all for the sake of Jesus to never back down. Sometimes I wonder what we look like. Do we look like people have been called by God or do we look like people who just have a nice little tradition going here? Nice little tax write-off. Do we look like Jesus and the calling of Jesus? Well, Abraham went, and this is the incredible thing about Abraham. I love it that the Bible has this in there for us. And this is one of the proofs of the Bible to me that we know it's the word of God, is it shows the mistakes of people. And Abraham faltered a few times. Now the Bible only lists Abraham faltering a few times, but I think if we really knew the life of Abraham, it would probably be he faltered a bunch of times. It would probably be that Abraham faltered about as much as David the preacher falters. You remember some of the things that Abraham did. You remember in Genesis chapter 12 and verses 10 through 13, they go off to Egypt. It was right after he had been called to go off to Egypt. And Abraham says, okay, now you tell the Pharaoh to Sarah, uh, his wife, to say, hey, we're going to tell the Pharaoh that you're my sister. 
And immediately they get there, and the, and the Egyptians notice that she is a good-looking woman. And so what he does is allows Sarah to go into the harem of Pharaoh. I'm not going to get any deeper with that than that. But I want you to understand, what kind of man does that to his wife? What kind of man does that? Let's go into Pharaoh's harem, but God, you remember, stopped anything from happening. And God spoke to Pharaoh and said, give her back, she belongs to Abraham. And that should have been enough. But you remember later on in chapter 20 that there's Abimelech. And you remember that Abraham does the same crazy lie again. Shouldn't he have known? Shouldn't he have figured it out? But there he is lying again and saying Sarah is his sister. And then you have this whole episode of his son of going to have a baby. God says you're going to have a baby. Sarah is going to make you the, uh, the father of a great nation. And you remember what he does? He goes and finds Hagar, his handmaiden, or Sarah's handmaiden, and has, has a baby with her instead. Not at all what God had intended. Now understand, God waited 26 years from the first beginning of the promise until Isaac comes around. But he said, I can do this all by myself. Do you know why, what Abraham was doing? Abraham was saying, well, logic tells me that my wife, back, remember, whenever Sarah laughs, that there is no way that my wife can have a baby at the age she is. Logic tells me that. Science tells me God does not work that way. All the, the, the old, old tales I've heard, nothing tells me that Sarah should have a child like that. Do you know what God was asking of him? God was saying, believe me, when science says something different. God was saying, believe me, when logic has a completely different story. God is saying, believe me, when no one else does, when it is completely against what you have known in the past. How did God react? Faithfully. Faithfully. This is where the grace is. You know what? Abraham did or what God did with Abraham after he had done that horrific thing back in Egypt with Sarah God told him the promise again and he said Abraham he said I've told you that I will bless you and I will and I will bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you I'm going to make your descendants like the sand on the seashore. I'm going to make it like the stars in the sky. You're not going to see, he didn't understand it at the time, you're not going to see all the sand and all the stars, but I'm going to do that. And then we could see just a few generations later how God was making all that happen, that God was totally faithful. But he said, Abraham, come on back. I'm faithful. I've made a covenant with you. And I want you to be faithful to your covenant again. And Abraham came back. And then Abraham messed up again. And God said, Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. We've made a covenant. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Abraham faltered again. And God said, Abraham, I'm being faithful. Come on back. And I will bless you. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. I am God, Yahweh, who is faithful. Come back 
trust me and trust your calling from God. I want you to understand this this morning. Most places God calls us to aren't physical addresses. Most of the time, he's not saying, I want you to go to 787 Delhi Street in Mumbai, India. Most of the time, he's not saying to us, I want you to go to Brazil and be a missionary. He, you may feel that on your heart to do something like that and go somewhere. That may be what it is. But instead, when God wants us, what God is talking about is spiritual places. He's saying, I'm calling Memorial to be a greater congregation than it's ever been before. I'm calling the elders to be greater elders and, and greater shepherds than they've ever been before. I'm calling the ministers to be better ministers than they've, ever ministered, than they've ever ministered in the past. I'm calling every single individual, male or female, young or old, to be better than what they've ever been, to be more devoted to me, to love their neighbors more than they ever have, to love me more than they ever have. That is what God is calling us to. Not necessarily a place, not necessarily to a new job, not necessarily to a, to a, a new relationship, except the relationship that is with him. You see, they're spiritual places. To say that I will be more devoted to prayer than I've ever been before. That I will be more devoted to talking about Jesus to my neighbors than I've ever been before. That I will be true to the calling of, of, of loving people of whatever race they are, of whatever creed they are, of whatever culture they are, of whatever background they are, more than I have ever before. And do it all in the name of the Lord. Not just to be a good citizen, not to be a nice guy, not to be elected to the homeowners association, but because it looks like Jesus and to proclaim Jesus. So where is God leading? Where is God leading you to today? Well, I can tell you what most of us are going to say is probably, I don't know. And so that's what I pray that you will be praying this week and the next and the next and the next. And what you may be hearing is God is leading me to be a, great, a better husband or a better wife or a better friend or a better employee or a better boss, whatever it is. But it's to do so in the name of the Lord. I read a story the other day about boats. He talked about how there are different types of boats, different types of ships. That, you know, you have the big warships. And, and you know, they have missiles and torpedoes on them and maybe even, even airplanes on them. And, and they go all over the world. And, and it's kind of an exciting life for some people. And, and they're so brave and strong and courageous, the folks on those boats or ships. And then you have others. You have the big freighters. And, you know, the big freighter, we used to live two blocks from, from uh, a port. And you used to watch those big freighters come in. And, you know, who knows what all was on them. I always used to try to imagine what was in them. You know, was it, were they full of, of um, clothing or were they toys for kids or were they cars and trucks? You know, what was on those big ships? They were so exciting to think about that they would literally go from one country and one continent to the other, to the other, to the other. And then there they were right in front of me and soon they would pull out again. How exciting that was. Where you think about those 
great luxury cruise ships that some of us have been on, whether you left from Galveston or somewhere else, and, and you know how pretty they are, and, and you get to relax and sit back and watch the ocean go by or the gulf go by, and, and those beautiful chandeliers, it seems like every one of them has glass elevators and how beautiful they are, and you can, if, you can eat the lobster, and if you don't like the lobster, you send it back and you eat the steak. You know, you can have whatever you want. It's just wonderful how exciting it is to be there. And then God makes tugboats. The tugboats are kind of short and squatty, aren't they? And they don't get to go anywhere. They stay home. They're not going out to see the world. They certainly see a lot of people who get to see the world. They see people who get to bring a lot of joy with the things they bring and see people wave at them because here I am, I'm waving at you while I'm, while I'm you know, eating my 14th ice cream cone of the day. You know, all those things. But the tugboat has a job, a very important job. Because the freighters and the cruise ships they can't get into port without the tugboat. Because without the tugboat, they don't, they're stuck. But the tugboat also needs the freighter and the cruise ship. Because the tugboat operator doesn't get paid if nobody comes into port. And everybody has a calling. And everybody has a purpose. And everybody needs to work together. Now, it could be that you say, well, I'm not a tugboat, I'm not a cruise ship, I'm a canoe. Well, that's okay. Be the best canoe for God that you can be. And you might find out that you're not a canoe. You might find out that God has greater plans for you than you could have ever imagined. But honor God with whatever you do. This morning, like always... You can come forward. You can be baptized. Your mask will get wet, but you can be baptized into Christ. Sins forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you this, God is calling every woman and man to come to him to have their sins forgiven. It doesn't matter of race. It doesn't matter of education. It doesn't matter of culture. It doesn't matter of economics. He's calling every person. You can also write in to elders at mcoc.org. Many people are doing that. Whether it's private or public, let us know, and our elders will be praying for you. Come as we stand and sing and as we sing along. <laughs>